Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Um, so will you bow with me right now um, as we spend a moment? just lay everything at the feet of Jesus. Let's exhale. Just all the ruminating automatic thoughts that is weighing on your heart and mind. Sway it before the Lord. And inhale the presence of God, his promise that when we supplicate our thoughts and our struggles will give us a transcendent peace. Sarah Young, July 9th. Jesus calling. Stop worrying long enough to hear my voice. I speak softly to you into the depths of your being. Your mind shuttles back and forth. As my thoughts rise up within you, they become entangled in those sticky webs of worry. Thus, my voice is muffled and you only hear white noise. Ask my spirit to quiet your mind so that you can think my thoughts. This ability is an awesome benefit of being my child, patterned after my own image. Do not deafen by the noise of the world or your own thinking. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sit quietly in my presence letting my thoughts reprogram your thinking. All God's people pray. Now we'll have Polly come up. Cool. So I've been going through a series um, covering the discipline of the heart, the discipline of the book, and the discipline of the, discipline of the church, um, as you might know. Uh, last time when I was up here, we covered the discipline of the heart. And what we said was that the discipline of the heart is about uh, disciplined introspection, um, uncovering and reordering the things in our heart, making space to see the image of God in our heart. And so we turned to the book of Ecclesiastes way back when, uh, and the words of the teacher and the author um, that speak to the things that lie within our hearts. So we talked about three points. Uh, first, the myth of religious self-fulfillment or the competing desires and wishes that make God a means to our own end. Uh, we talked about the burden of control and the hopelessness of finding ultimate satisfaction and joy here on earth. And that may be the reason that we don't have control is so that we can experience satisfaction and joy as serendipitous signs of grace. Um, and lastly, we talked about the discipline of prayer. Um, intentionally setting aside time to be quiet, listening and waiting for God with an openness of heart, openness that comes from decluttering the many competing agendas and desires that speak loudly in our hearts. Um, so if the discipline of the heart is about creating habits of introspection and reflection and entering into prayer, 
then the discipline of the book is about knowing to whom I pray and allowing that knowledge to change us and to form us. Um, the discipline of the book is about regularly engaging with, reflecting on, wrestling with, surrendering to a living word that wants to inform and form your perception of the world and how you engage with it. Um, so two things, to inform your understanding of God, his love for you, his work in human history, and to form your perception of the world and ultimately how you operate and act within it. Um, so next slide. So I'm just gonna give you a, throw up a quick outline up there of the four topics that we're gonna dive into. Um, and so the questions are, what is the word? Followed by, what does the discipline of the book or biblical formation look like? Uh, third, what is my role in biblical formation? And four, what is the role of the church in biblical formation? Um, so those are roughly the, the milestones in the sermon. So uh, whether or not I follow those, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> so the next slide, oh, can you mute the, yeah. What is scripture? What is the word? So Henry Nouwen describes the word in three ways. Um, so they're up there in the three columns. But essentially, uh, first is the living word, uh, the logos that we read about in John 1. And so I'll just read that real quick. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, so this is the eternal, creative, living word, both hidden and revealed in the life and teachings of Jesus. So that's word number one. Word number two, uh, we encounter a written word. So this is typically what we refer to as scripture. Uh, Nouwen writes, a second way we encounter God is to listen to the living word in the written word of God. Reading, meditating, and listening to the word of God in the words of scripture opens our hearts to God's presence. We listen to a sentence, a story, a parable, not simply to be instructed, but in, or informed or inspired, but to be formed into a truly obedient person of faith. Listening, reading, meditating, embodying the word is about formation. So spiritual reading uh, is meditating on the word of God. And we had an entire sermon on meditation. Um, but to meditate means to let the word descend from our minds into our hearts. How? By chewing on the word, hearing it, reciting it, uh, and incorporating it into our lives um, through our actions. And it's the discipline by which we let the written word of God become a personal word for us. So, and thirdly, and this is probably the most not talked about, it's the spoken word, or rima. And uh, this is the words of truth or wisdom that are born out of silent prayer and meditation that are offered or received as the ripe fruit of solitude. So, in other words, uh, after we've been silent and listened, uh, there might be times in our lives when we have to speak. Uh, and silence teaches us when and how to speak a word of truth or wisdom to each other. Um, and so there is a third word um, in this collection of three words. And the purpose of engaging with the word in all of these forms, right, uh, in the living word as well as the written word as well as the spoken word is to be confronted, to be challenged, to be humbled, and ultimately to be changed by this word. Uh, Henry Nouwen writes, as long as we read the Bible or a spiritual book simply to acquire knowledge, our reading does not help us in our spiritual lives. 
Uh, we can become very knowledgeable about spiritual matters without becoming truly spiritual people. So now one makes a distinction between engaging with the word as a means to acquire knowledge, uh, as well as about spiritual matters and engaging the word to become transformed by it. So there's a difference. Uh, and honestly, this shouldn't be new to us, right? So there are many domains in which this is true. So learning an instrument, playing a sport, uh, planning personal finances. There's a world of differences between consuming content and performing. A music sheet with, with notes that remain on a page in abstraction and never make their way to a musician's hands remain inanimate. And like anything else, only the diligent survive. So many people are inspired by Chopin, by Schumann, by Iruma, but most don't develop the sustainable habits to perform, to transform words onto a page into a lived experience. Um, so we're going to dive into that. Uh, next slide. So we're going to dive into it through Acts 2. So today we'll turn to Acts 2 after Pentecost to look at an example of how a community of Jesus followers were inspired by this word, uh, collectively engaged with the word and transformed their own lives and the lives of the neighbors and the communities and the world. Um, so Acts 2, I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of those who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. Verse 36. In between 14 and 36, he was giving a sermon. Uh, 36, <laughs> therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. And 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled in awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor all, uh, of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so next slide. At Pentecost, just to recap what I just said, there was a profound experience of the Spirit, and these Jewish people in Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost, it was a crowded, yeah, it was a crowded Jerusalem because everyone was there for Pentecost. Uh, at the time of Passover, began to bear witness of Jesus in different languages that people could understand. And it drew a huge crowd. Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice to address the crowds in what would be one of the first Christian sermons recorded in the Bible. Uh, we see a Jewish believer in Jesus addressing a Jewish audience, proclaiming that Jesus was Messiah, and those that accepted his message were invited to be baptized and 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
So after Peter's preaching and the church continues to witness, now 3,000 plus Jewish followers of Jesus devoted themselves to a new life of habits and routines together and they devoted themselves to four things, to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we'll deep dive into what those actually are. Um, the believers were together, they had everything in common. They were selling property to give to those that were in need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts, eating together in their homes, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord continued to their, add to their number daily. Okay, so quick aside. Now, as an outside observer, us, we might read this chapter and we might think to ourselves, that was a different time, that was a different place. Uh, holy fire literally, figuratively hovered over their heads. Um, and you'd have to be engulfed in flames and go super saiyan to be so radically transformed overnight. So maybe, maybe. It's true that Acts 2 is a spirit-empowered moment in time. Um, and also, for anyone that works in the church, organizing 3,000 plus people within days uh, speaks to untold event planning and project management skills of the folks that are on staff. So yeah. But I want to argue that what happened in Acts 2 wasn't something that happened once upon a time. Uh, it's a relevant model for a community committed to contextualizing the gospel. Um, so how did they contextualize the gospel? They formed new habits. And what exactly were these habits that the early church formed? Well, they're described in verse 42 specifically. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were gathering every day, meeting in massive temple courts, they were meeting in small groups, in homes, and they devoted themselves to learning. More on this later. Uh, two, they devoted themselves to fellowship or to koinonia. So they shared their lives, their time, their energy, and uniquely their stuff with those in the community for those that had need, right? And then three, to the breaking of bread. So they committed to creating relationships and inviting each other into their lives and eating together. This was all intentional. And lastly, to prayers. As a Jewish community with the tradition of prayer that already exists, they committed themselves to keeping those cycles of prayer throughout the day. So learning, sharing, investing in relationships, and praying were the habits that were embraced both individually and collectively by this particular community of believers. Um, as embodiments of the implications of living in a reality created by the gospel. So, next slide. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the first of the list of, um, first of the four that were on that list. Um, and really that's the only one that I'm going to focus on because otherwise it'll get way too long. But learning the apostles' teaching. Um, those who heard and accepted the word were baptized and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what it says. What were the apostles' teachings? Um, the apostles' teachings were the teachings that helped Jesus' followers explore the implications of the gospel, um, the implications of what it means to live as if the gospel were true. Accepting the gospel is true, accepting that Jesus is the Messiah, believing in God's love for you and for humanity, creates a new world. Um, and it takes a lifetime of learning to fully understand what it means for my life. Um, what it means to work out that salvation that was found in Jesus. And so there are many analogs in life to what working out this grace means. And so I'm going to just share one. When I was 30, I got married. Um, I didn't just adopt a set of stories that led up to a wedding in my life. That's not how marriage works. I adopted a new identity, uh, a new way of viewing myself, 
and others, and a new way of relating to the communities that I was a part of. And this formation as a spouse didn't happen in a day or in a year. Um, it's a reality that I have to live with and live into daily and work out the implications of every other facet in my life, uh, in my behavior, and in all my other relationships, in light of being married. All of that needs to change. So the early Christians also had this profound experience of having to orient their behavior and all their relationships in light of Jesus. Um, so, um, all right. So what did the early church do to do all of that, right? So the early church was regularly gathering to hear about, discuss, and exercise the apostles' teachings. They were exploring the implications of Jesus as the Messiah within their own Jewish context. Um, they were learning, sharing, investing in relationships, and praying. Those were the habits that made sense to them in Acts 2. That was, that was their way of responding to their particular set of needs that were going on within that church. And so in modern times, what, is, what does this look like? Um, they were forming what we call mastermind groups, small groups that band together around a shared experience, such as investing, parenting, and they were exploring together, debating, implementing the practices and habits that lead to better results. So, I mean, here in this church, we have a bunch of parents, all the parents are sharing tips about how to parent, and that's pretty much what it is. So, in this regard, <laughs> Jesus Communities has always incorporated learning new ideas as core, as a core part of the habits of being a follower of Jesus. It was a community of people who formed a habit of constantly looking to learn new and different ideas to help them make sense of the world in light of their commitment to Jesus. It's a constant learning process. And this might be shocking to folks that always viewed the church as rigid or out of touch. Um, sometime, somewhere in time, the idea of Christians being open to new ideas, uh, opening to, open to different ideas, that got lost. Um, but, but yeah, uh, it's unfortunate. But the challenge of the discipline of the book and of Acts 2 is that we're called to emulate this early church, to be learners, to regularly gather and talk about the implications of the good news within our specific contexts. As people living and working in this particular city, as a single person, as a married person, or as a parent, or as a non-parent. And surrendering all aspects of our life to Jesus requires a lifetime of consideration and reflection. So the gospel announces that the world is different from what we originally thought, right? That the being that's responsible for the world is not distant, um, but is instead eternally committed to us and that God's heart is for justice and love and reconciling sinful humans to himself. And that gospel creates a different story for your life. Um, and it takes a lifetime to retrain ourselves to live in that good news. And to that end, the whole landscape of human experience needs to be remade. It needs to be reconsidered. Um, next slide. So stepping back for a moment, what is the point of forming and committing to these practices? Like, why do, why do we do this? Um, the point is witness. Uh, the point is to bear witness. So Peter and the apostles delivered the good news to the hearers. That was one form of witness. But then, what the word, but then that word created a community of people who are being animated and transformed by that word. And that animation also professes to the good news. Um, so as I was reading through and reflecting on Acts 2, I was reminded of Ezekiel 37, which is up here. And so I'm just going to read that real quick. But the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. 
He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to the bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you <laughs> and you will come to life. Uh, I will attach tendons to you and make your flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The shared life of the community not only embodied the good news, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, it reinforces the message and in itself, it itself became a message, much like the way that it wasn't just the speaking of God's word to these bones, it was also the fact that these bones formed. Um, that in itself was the message to profess Christ. But we're seeing a spirit-empowered witness of the church. And this witness, the activity that's drawing people to Christ is happening in two forms. It's happening in word and it's happening in actions. So first through the preaching, telling people the story of Jesus, the events of his life, his death, and his resurrection, explaining the meaning of its significance in history and faithfully sharing the good news um, was one way that the Spirit moved. But then the other way that the Spirit moved was through the life and the activity of the church. So after hearing the good news, this is a group of people that devoted themselves to something. They devoted themselves to Jesus, but also to a new set of habits and routines. And we all orient our lives around habits and routines, but what sets this community apart was their adoption of these habits individually and as a community. Um, next slide. So what does all of this have to do with the discipline of the book? So I described earlier that the discipline of the book was about regularly engaging with, reflecting on, wrestling with, and surrendering to a living word that wants to inform and form your perception of the world and how you engage with it. And it's precisely a call to return to this habit of hearing the good news and allowing that word to form your perception of the world and ultimately how you operate and act within it. Um, and just, yeah. So uh, skipping to the next question, what is the role of the church in biblical formation? Um, so one of the primary tasks of the church, why you're all here, um, is to facilitate this process of repeatedly encountering the word, um, thinking together about its implications for my life for, and um, living those out. What churches want to do is put you in front of the word so that the spirit can work on you. Um, the same spirit that animates dry bones and literally or figuratively puts tongues of fire above people's heads, the church can create a space and a time to engage with the word, but transformation of the heart and mind happens by a prompting of the spirit that's supported by discipline and learned habits. All I can do here is present the word to you, but what you'll come away with, what you'll learn and embody, the habits that you'll form are a result of the work of the spirit and self and communal discipline. So we're not just gathering to learn ideas, we're not learning facts or head knowledge, it's learning a new way of life, and there's a rhythm and routine to our gatherings and establishing the habits together. We are a learning community, learning to live out the announcement of the gospel individually and collectively, and living the implications of that in every facet of our lives. And while everyone may be learning something different, as the Spirit leads, uh, we can't learn alone. It's something that happens in the context of community. In gatherings, it's discussed, it's taught, it's refined, because embodying the gospel and living it out and its implications involves loving people. And that isn't something that 
you can do alone. It's experienced between people and within communities. And so the gospel has every implication, has implications for every corner of your life, and it doesn't just end with your life and your actions. It starts there and it extends outwards. The Spirit of the Lord seeks to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recover sight to the blind, set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The gospel and the spirit that animates us has something to say about those things as well. Because it's getting hot, I'm going to start <laughs> wrapping up. It is very hot up here. Uh, so as I wrap up, um, I want to challenge you to take seriously a habit of learning, engaging with the lifelong remaking of your mind, um, learning a habit of engaging with scripture, but also learning from teachers in the community, but also taking responsible for your own engagement with the Bible in your day-to-day -day experience. Um, and what you'll find is that there are areas in your life where you'll naturally learn and conform your life to the pattern of Jesus. And then there will be other areas in your life where you're immature. Um, and that's great. There's room to grow. Um, but all of us, we're, while we're on different places in our lives, we're becoming more devoted to Jesus in different facets of our lives. And that's the church that, that's the kind of church that I hope I would seek to be a part of. So if P. Sam and P. Lig come up. I'll stand together. You deserve that ice water, Paul. So, Acts 2 particularly, I think it's very interesting. The, the, the phenomenon and interest to examine and explore is the tongues of fire. And so, throughout church history, a lot of people focused on the tongues of fire. And be like, okay, if we could just get the tongues of fire then we'll get the same result. But the point is not the tongues of fire. The point of the discipline of the book is to examine the situational context of the Bible and church history and be like, why does this phenomenon take place? What is it about it that God's power manifests? You see, contextually, sometimes the tongues of fire will be different. In Jerusalem, Near Pentecost, it will be tongues of fire. So all the languages, all the Jews that gathered together for the festival could hear the gospel. Today, in the 21st century, in this postmodern Union Square context, the tongues of fire could be kindness. The Holy Spirit comes on you and manifests differently to proclaim the good news through you and me. And it could be gentleness. Because sometimes gentleness is fire. In a, in a world of vis, you know, vitriol and hatred and anger, can you imagine just a person being kind? A man and a woman on fire is the point. It's not tongues of fire. That's the point. And let me just tell you, I speak in tongues. And my kids are like, do it again, Dad. And I do it again, and they go, and Nathan and Josh at home, and we're doing remote. They're like, well, I felt that. I felt that. I felt the spirit. So the discipline of the book, it's important to learn for ourselves to examine if the phenomenon taking place in the church, it's biblical or it's in context to the witness of the gospel. 
So a pastor could tell you, oh, yeah, this is normative. And you're like, I don't think so. No, it's, it's normative. It's special revelation from the Holy Spirit. And you could be like, I don't think so. It's not in the Bible. So it gives you a mirror to embody the witness of the church for our time so that the good news could inhibit the praises of his people and the gathering and the meeting of his people so that the good news could be, we could bear witness to that news. So the question I have for you is how will God manifest his presence to embody that news of the gospel in your life and mine? Where in society do you see those needs? Will you invite the Holy Spirit today as we lift our hands and make this our prayer? Will you say, Holy Spirit, will you manifest your power as you did in Pentecost in our community? Will you manifest your power in my neighborhood and in my context, in my job, in my spheres of influence, where people need the Lord. Will you let the tongues of fire manifest as men and women on fire by the presence of God? And the point is not the tongues. The point is the indwelling and the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, let's practice the discipline of the book. Will you welcome the power of the Holy Spirit that was manifest in the early church in our gathering today? Will you welcome the Spirit's power in your own life to change all of us to be witnesses? May the words, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart bless your name. Bless your name. Bless your name, Jesus. And the deeds of the day and the truth in my way speak of you speak of you speak of you Jesus for this is what I'm glad to do this is what I'm glad to do it's time to live a life it's time to live a life of love that pleases you and I will give to you surrender everything I have and follow you I'll follow you Lord will you be my vision let's make this our prayer today Lord will you be my vision Lord will you be my guide be my hope be my life For riches, no praises on earth. Only you'll be the first of my heart. For this is what, for this is what I'm glad to do. I'm glad to do. It's time to live a life. It's time to live a life of love that pleases Him. 
and I will give my all to you. Surrender everything I have. Surrender everything. And follow you. And follow you. I'll follow you. So Holy Spirit, we pray as we practice the discipline of the book and see the parallels of your witness 2,000 years ago with the first church, we as a community want to invite the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to manifest your witness in the 21st century in ways contextualized those surrounding us would understand as who you are and your power and your love would manifest through us. And as we gather, Holy Spirit, we pray that we would receive the filling of the Spirit. So will you just pray that right now? Just whisper to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, fill me like the early church. You see, it wasn't the people that were special in the first century, it was the Spirit's power that was special. So it's normative and good for us as ordinary people gathered in Jesus' name to receive that special anointing so that we too could be witnesses in our generation. And I pray that the Spirit's work supernaturally or even naturally would show up in your life. And God would be praised how that gospel witnessed and manifests in your life. Will you bow your heads today for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Hi. How's it going? Happy Sunday. Uh, my name is Haley, and I'm a member here at 180 Church, and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about tithes and offering. How we can give. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully. Admission is free, but mission isn't. If you're a member here today, if you're a visitor here today with us, uh, we welcome you to our service. And there's no financial obligation to give, but if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Our next announcement is all about the ways you can connect with God and others in our community. We have our Bible reading group, 180 BRG. You can join us at any time to read the Bible. Feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the word of God. We also have a number of other ways to stay connected, including our church's Facebook page, Dr. Sammy's Twitter page, our YouTube page, and our various Instagram handles. We are live every Sunday for service through YouTube, so you can always watch and re-watch the sermons and stay connected with us. Next, we have small groups. 
Small groups are a great way to connect with others in the community and go deeper into the message. We have various groups for different stages. Some meet on Zoom and some meet in person. If you need any info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 Shirts. Next, we have resources. We have plenty of resources that are available for you at, to purchase at the cafe to help you stay connected with God daily. It's a great way to share the gospel as well. We also have a couple more books out there right now because of our current series, Victory Over Darkness and Spiritual Direction. So check those out. Now, while you're at the cafe, you can also pick up some 180 merch. There's a collection of sweatshirts and shirts and all purchases are based on an honor system and can be purchased the same ways mentioned before. Are you feeling in need of prayer? Take a minute to pause and pray. There is a power in prayer and you never have to pray alone. You can send an email to prayer at 180church.tv and there's a team praying for you on the other side and everything is confidential. Next, we have Pastor Lydia created an instrumental album called A Glimpse from 180 Studios. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. It's a great way to recenter ourselves with Christ and by listening to some peaceful worship songs, you can unwind, exhale, and take in the presence of God. Our next announcement is about Day in the Sun. Our next Day in the Sun is going to be on July 23rd at noon, and it's located again at the Great Hill in Central Park. It's our first potluck. I think our last one was like three to four years ago. Um, so let's start thinking about what we want to make and what we want to share with others in our community. Uh, the RSVPs are out, so please check your emails. Let's pray for beautiful weather and don't forget to invite your friends and family to this event. They might be just one invite away from experiencing God and life change. Uh, please save the dates for all the days in the sun. So there it is. Um, so the next one is the potluck. Then we have on August 13th, we have desserts. And then September 17th is the college party. So you wear your college gear there. Um, if you haven't already, we're collecting a one-time donation of $100 to cover all the Days in the Sun events. Uh, next, we have 180 Retreat. Please mark your calendars for our annual 180 Retreat. It will take place on Labor Day weekend, which is September 2nd to the 4th. That's a Saturday to a Monday. The location will be at a residence inn in Secaucus, Meadowlands. Please look out for our RSVP link. I think I heard that it was going out today, so please look for the RSVP. And the deadline or, um, yes, the deadline is July 31st. So we don't have much time. So please look and then make sure you RSVP. Uh, finally, we are looking for volunteers to help serve in many different areas in our community. There's a cafe slash bookstore. Come help wake people up literally and spiritually. We have Sunday school. Come help our littlest members get to know the love of Jesus. Uh, we have our techies. Come help us build really cool stuff online. And then greeters. Come help all feel welcome and be the friendly faces of our community. Please see any of our greeters in 180 shirts or gear or anyone in the cafe if you want to help get connected. <laughs>